we live, yes. Um, uh, a couple of things before I forget. I mean, hold and let go of it and it will grow. Obviously, by the, um, what that's saying is that by us holding on to it, it is not growing. So, we are God's beloved. He loves us. That has a whole book of promises and realities about what our life can be and will be. And the only way that we are going to receive those into our life, whether it be peace, joy, happiness, contentment, a sense of hope in our life, that takes faith. It, it, it is not a feeling that just comes on us. It takes faith. We are his beloved. He loves us. That's not just some throwaway statement because Christianity has been saying it for 2,000 years. It is a living reality in the eyes and the, and the heart of God. Everything that you would think a beloved person would receive from the person who loves them is what God does. But if we hold on, he's saying don't hold on to something because you're holding on to it and you're actually stopping it from growing. If you let go of it, it is going to grow. This is a very profound statement because we live in a time, let's use finances because I don't think that's all that God's talking about, but let's use it because it's an easy one to get the picture of. We're living in a time where everyone is terrified financially of the future. Everyone, the, the media, banks, especially investment people, have you terrified about the fact that if you don't have a million dollars when you retire, you're going to live in destitution. And you, and it, you know what? It's a message that takes very easy. We, we feed that very easy. And, or we receive it very easily. And what it's causing is us to, one, be scared. And it stops us from having faith because we choose to be fearful instead of faithful. And what Jerry said is so true. The Bible is full from Old Testament to New Testament that if you let go of money for the right reason, I'm not saying drive down the highway and throw it out the door. You know, that's, you know, that's ridiculous. Um, but what I am saying is that when God asks us to be generous, when, when we get that instigation to be generous, and again, I don't like talking about money because it sounds like it's self-serving, but it's, a, it's just a good picture and it's easy to use. When we're saying, oh, I'd love to give to that, but, and then the fear comes in. What about tomorrow? What about next week? What about the oil bill? What about the phone bill? And what does God say about tomorrow in the New Testament? Jesus very clearly spent a lot of time telling his disciples, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. You are more important to God than anything else. And he used the example, and I see it all the time. You walk around, you see crows out there. We've got millions of crows, and uh, they don't seem to be starving. But they're not up all night figuring out how they're going to get food the next morning. They jump down off the tree and they walk around yards, and there it is right on the ground. And they eat it, and they survive. And Jesus said, don't you know that you're far more important than these? But God has provided for them. 
But we hear another voice. We hear another voice that says, if you don't take care of all your your future needs, and if you don't do the right thing, and if you, uh, Stephanie and Cora and I were talking about the other night about investing, there's a million ways to invest, and none of them are secure. Really, none of them are, because in 2008, the whole thing crashed, and whole countries lost their economy. All whole people lost all of their pensions because it crashed. So that's not secure. Don't be fooled into thinking that some guy sitting across from you with a bunch of graphs t telling you how much your money's going to make has any proof that that's going to happen. But what we do have is the proof that God will be with us. And he said the only way that you can really guarantee that, he said, is to test me. He said, if you give properly, when I ask you to be generous, when I ask you to do whatever it is, you watch if I don't turn that around. You watch if I don't bring back far more than you gave. And it's, we, yeah, we've all seen it happen, Willie. We've all, anyone who's been with Christ for any period of time has seen that happen, where you have given maybe your last dollar and some shows up the next day. How many have seen that happen? Come on. How many? Like, you know that's a reality. So it's one of the ways that God is saying, let it go. But I don't think he's just talking about money this morning. I think he's talking about our fears and worries about tomorrow. Our fears and worries about our children. Our fears and worries about our relationships, our jobs, and all those things. And sometimes... We hold on to situations and we're actually stopping God's grace from flowing. We're getting in the way and you're going to try to fix it this way and you're going to try to fix it that way and you're going to try to get involved this way and we're going to give advice to our children and we're going to tell them what to do and we're going to show them the right way when in actuality doing that you are actually pushing them away. There's the, more the more advice anyone gives their child who is older than 15, you are actually pushing them away. They will let you know very clearly when they want your input. Very clearly. And it will be much less than we think they deserve. <laughs> we will think they need our advice much more than they actually want to hear it. But when we release our children to God and say, listen, Father, I know you're going to bring people into their lives you're going to have circumstances and issues that come along. And that is going to say far more than anything we say. We really do become Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 at a certain age with our children. And that's why zero to ten is so important with our kids. You want to put stuff into them, you've got a, a very precious window from 0 to 10. Some say it's 0 to 5. Most kids are everything they are by the age of 5. You've put in them their fears. You've put in them their phobias. You've put in them their hopes. You've put in them their expectations. Because, and it's very rarely from what they say, what we say, they are watching us. It's a wonderful story I heard. There was a, uh, a dog that had um, pups. 
And the dog had a problem. The female dog had a problem that she couldn't walk on her hind legs. So she would drag her legs. She had the puppies who were healthy. Do you know what they started doing? Dragging their legs. Now that's learned behavior. And the most powerful thing in our life as far as influencing our children is not what we say, it's what we do. God help us all. Um, there's many of the parent who has walked away from a situation and, and grieved the way they have behaved. Um, but that's what children hear, and they see it from one to five. And they say most psychologists and psychiatrists and, and child study people say, by the age of five, you have put in all of the stuff, and it's after that it's just the blossoming of it. And we do have certainly some influence along that way. But God is saying, let it go and it will grow this morning. The fear of any financial situation you have, he's saying, let it go and it will grow. Because letting it go requires faith. Jerry said it. It requires faith. Understand everything God wants from you. He really only wants two things from you. Faith and trust. And you won't do it unless you love him. You won't do it unless you want to really be in relationship with God. So uh, the love aspect of loving God comes through faith and trust. And when God is saying, he's obviously saying to us this morning, to some of us, to let go of something. Now the Holy Spirit's going to let you know, as I'm speaking, what exactly it is that he's saying, let go. Some of us have to let go of the past. Now, we've talked about this before, but God seems to be bringing it up again. Do you know there's preachers, I know preachers, who have felt led by God to speak the same. I know one preacher said the same sermon for about three months. The same sermon. Because he knew God was saying, we've got to get this. We've got to get this. And we really are sometimes very hard-headed. But we have to let go of the past. Let go and it will grow. Let go of the failures. Let go of what, and I know we blame, sometimes we blame God. Why God didn't fix that? Why God didn't stop that from happening? Why life did that to me? And you'll see people 20, 30 years later still sitting, still sitting and complaining about their life from 25 years ago. And why hasn't this changed? And why hasn't it gotten better? And why isn't my life the way it should be? Maybe because you're sitting there going, why isn't my life better? Why isn't my life better? It's a lamenting accusation to God. And God's saying, let it go, and maybe it will grow into something healthy. We just have to let go of stuff this morning. That's what he's saying. We are his beloved. We belong to him. We belong to God. And that old adage that says, the net will appear. How many have heard that as a, as a colloquialism for a statement? The net will appear. It's, it's referring to the fact that when you're out on the tight wire, you see those guys that walk the tight wire? Some do it without a net, which is craziness. But basically, that statement is something used in marketing that says, take the chance, and if you fall, the net will appear. It may not look like there's a net there, but the net will appear. And God always catches us. He'll always catch us. So don't be afraid to 
take the risk. Don't hold on to the bar so much. Don't hold on to what's safe so much. Don't hold on to what you think is going to keep you. Just maybe take a step out. Maybe trust God a little bit. Go in a new direction. Believe something else can happen. Stop trying to control your family. Honestly, the most powerful incursion into our peace and into our joy can come through our families. And there is a point where you have every legitimate spiritual reason to say, sorry, the door is closed. Love ya. But when you for 20 years are having this constant incursion into your life through your family and constantly having this happen where it's disrupting your whole life, you have every legitimate reason to go, no, I'm not taking that phone call and I'm not opening that door. Sounds very, sounds very hard. But the point is, Jesus said it. He said, the people of your own family are going to be the ones that sometimes will be the biggest problem in our lives. And we have some false... I was talking to someone yesterday who has this person who really, really damaged them, was in a relationship with them, and really abused them and everything. They broke up, but this guy keeps on showing up, just dropping in to say hi. And I said, why are you letting him in? I said, well, I don't want to be rude. I said, there's a time to be rude. Being rude is when someone is trying to be nice to you and you handle them with disrespect. That's rude. But when someone is coming in to just keep the jabs coming and keep the destruction coming and you don't say anything, that is foolishness. That's what that is. That is a blatant disregard for your boundaries. And you need good boundaries in order to have a healthy life. You should be very guarded on who you let in your life. People just willy-nilly coming in and you just being nice to them. No, you need to really guard who comes into your life. Jesus was very strict about people who followed him. is just give you some of the attitude that sometimes you have to lay down some boundaries. And it, Jesus was talking about people who've been called to follow him. And they say, well, you know, my father just died and I got to... Let the dead bury the dead, is what Jesus said there. Very, very hard statement. But he was saying, no, you really don't. You're, that's an excuse. You really don't want to follow me. And he'll mention other people who are saying this and that. And he said, they're not fit for the kingdom. We have to be very careful about this, the thing that is most important in our life. And it is our spiritual health. The Apostle Paul said that physical health and exercise is good. It's good. We should be doing that. But he said the spiritual side of our life is much more important. I said it to a gentleman who called me yesterday and was going on about something that happened 20 years ago and was basically saying that God needs to be his, uh, his put-my-life-back-together person while the whole time complaining about this thing that happened 20 years ago. And I said, listen, God did not come to, do, to write a self-help book. There's hundreds of them. 
in the bookstore if you want to go and find out how to have a happier, more joyful, mindful life. There's tons of them out there. The reason Jesus came, and this is the fundamental reason Jesus came, was one to, of course, display the true nature of the Father because the, the Jews at the time had so messed it up and had turned it into such a legalistic, horrible thing, and we've seen the same thing happen with Christianity, turned into this legalistic, how, how high is your dress and how long's your hair and all that foolishness that kept so many people out of the church and offended so many people. But he came so that, first of all, you'd know what the true nature of our Father is, and second, so that you would spend eternity with him. That's it, fundamentally. He came so that that issue that was between him and you, which is sin, would be dealt with, so that you could have eternity with him. I don't know why God wants you and I to be in eternity with him, um, but he does. There's many, 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 many mornings I go, I don't know why you even bother with me, Lord, because I can't stand myself right now. But nonetheless, he loves us because we are his beloved. And he's not going to let go of that. Real love never fails, Corinthians says. God never gives up on us, never. So he wants us to be with him in eternity. And that is something that needs to be protected. Verna said something three weeks ago, or last week, and uh, we've had horrible weather on Sundays. If I didn't know any better, I'd say it was a demonic plot. <laughs> but I'm not going to get crazy about it. But boy, oh boy. And now the Internet's been down for two weeks here, and, and no one can use the Interact. Like, what's going on? But... Um, the fact is, she said she'd missed church for three weeks. And she said, it's interesting that when I got ready to come on the fourth week, because church was available, she said, it would have been much easier. Todd and I were talking about this yesterday. It would be much easier to just not go. Because after three weeks of not going, it gets easier not to go. And that's why God is very clear in his word that most of the biblical disciplines, prayer, reading a Bible, and gathering together is usually mentioned in the New Testament on a daily basis. On a daily basis, they met in the temple courts when the first church was started. And that's because your brain is made so that once you start doing something, the brain goes, oh, that's what you want to do. And it starts creating synaptic connections to make that turn into a habit so that you don't have to think about it anymore. It's a wonderful thing the brain does for us. When we start doing something, it says, oh, okay, you want to do that? I'm going to make a little highway in there so you don't have to think about it. Like driving to work. Driving to work, all of a sudden you get to work. How did I get to work? I have no memory of driving to work. Well, that's your brain making it easy for you. It's saying, okay, I know what you're doing here. Let me take over, and you can think about your dog or whatever you're thinking about. Hopefully you don't get to work with a big old sneaker on the side of your fender or someone's <laughs> coat on your windshield or something. But for the most part, it does that. We spiritually have to understand that because as we drift away from our spiritual disciplines, the brain goes, oh, oh is that the way you want to go? Okay, I'll make a synaptic highway. So it makes it very easy for you to do that. And what eventually leaves is conviction, and any, any kind of sense of loss. 
And the brain just says, no, well, this is what you told me to do, so this is what I'm doing for you. It's an amazing thing. It really is. That's why people who pray every day and, and do those disciplines every day, they say after a couple of days they can feel it if they don't do it. Did you ever notice that? You just get that your brain's going, what about this? We're not using this highway anymore. Do you want me to get rid of it or what? It's literally saying that to you. So God is saying this morning we are his beloved. And we need to let go of something. I've talked about a few things, but the Holy Spirit's talking to you guys specifically about stuff you have to let go of because all of your attention, all of your effort, all of your trying is actually stopping it from growing. And also the idea, one final thing about our faith and our personal relationship with God, with always striving to do the right thing so God loves us. That is not why God loves us. That actually gets in the way. And if you had a child who constantly kept on doing good things and they looked up at you and said, now do you love me? Imagine a child that came to you all the time. They're scrubbing the floor. You never asked them to scrub the floor. And you say, why are you scrubbing the floor? Because I want you to love me. I'm washing the car. Why are you washing the car? Because I want you to love me. Why did you give me all your money? Because I want you to love me. Can you imagine what a parent would feel like? He'd say, what do you mean? That doesn't, that, that's not why I love you. I love you because you're my child, because you are my beloved. You were my beloved when you came out, uh, you know, screaming and hollering when you were born. You had nothing, and I loved you then. Because you scrubbed the floor, it's not going to make me love you. And we do that with God. We do all these things for God, and we may not be saying we're doing it because we want him to love us, but he reads our heart. He knows the motivations of the heart. So I'm not saying don't do anything for God, please. <laughs> we need more people helping with the kingdom, let me tell you. Um, but w it's why we do it. And we don't walk away thinking, well, I did my good deed today. Now God loves me and I feel okay about myself. Um, that's not the way it works. And that's not what God wants. So I just want to pray a little prayer. Father, you're speaking to us uh, this morning about stuff you want us to let go of so it will grow. And Lord, I pray right now that you give illumination to everybody in this room what it is you want us to let go of. And give it to you. And Father, we just now form a picture in our imagination of us taking this issue and handing it over to you, Jesus. And we do it in faith and trust. And we pray right now that, Father, we will not grab that thing back later on this week or whenever, that we will leave that with you and trust that you are going to cause it to grow and trust that you are going to make the right thing happen, even when we see the wrong things still happening. But we're trusting you, Father. Yes. That's very profound, Claudio, because by the nature of love, um, you have to love something. Love can't just exist by itself. Then it's not love. It, it literally cannot. 
water cannot, ex like what water is H2O, right? You can't just take the hydrogen away and say, this is water. No, it has to be combined with oxygen and then it becomes, in order to love, we have to be loving something. It's, it, it's just the way it works. Yeah, just let him do it, uh, which is crazy when you think about it. He just wants to love us. Yeah, but I'm such a bad person. Yeah, he knows that. He knows that. That's why he sent Jesus. We're not what we should be. We'll never be what we should be. That's why he sent Jesus. And we just have to willingly accept the free gift of grace that has been given to us and not walk with this heavy sense that I've blown it this week, therefore God is not with me. I'm not doing what I should have done. I haven't prayed today. God is not with me. That does not happen. He said, I cannot separate myself from you. But the Bible says that Christ is in you. You are in Christ. Christ is in the Father. You are one. There would have to be a very major spiritual, surgical thing happen in order for that to change. And where you walk, Jesus walks. It's a, it's a very, <laughs> the spiritual realm is very difficult. Yes, that was the goal. Yeah, that was, God was giving us probably one of the most healthy of all the old Mosaic laws. The Sabbath is probably the most beneficial to us in a day-in, day-out thing. That, go ahead. Well, there you go. I mean, you can take it as far as you want, really. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Jews were only able to walk a quarter of a mile. Uh, they were only able to carry certain weights of things and stuff. But what it was is God was doing a bunch of things with the Sabbath. But one of the benefits of it is that it does give us that opportunity to just be to just let the week go and it didn't say he didn't say sit in your in your easy chair and worry about the week that's not what the sabbath was about it was to sit there and to think <laughs> sitting there and worry for a whole day um, but it was to sit and meditate on god like we are doing right now we are meditating on god we are thinking about what he's saying to us we're we're hearing him and we're listening to him and i g i don't know how many people come to church on Sunday, have a service like this, and walk out. I'm sure most pe people walking out feel better than when they came uh, because there was a transition or a, a transaction that went on between us and God, and he gave us something. And we need to do that. The world will have you, listen, it is the devil's intent to have you going 24-7. Social, oh yeah, Todd and I were talking about social media. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, parents, I feel sorry for millennial parents because they've been sold a bill of goods about the fact that their kids always need to be happy. 
um, and that if you're not giving your child everything they need, even if it's a good thing, that you're not giving them everything they need and everything they want, that you are somehow being uh, a deprived parent and you're hurting your kids and you've no there's nothing more foolish and ridiculous, but what it's done is it's created a bunch of parents who are absolutely burnt out. They're burnt out and there's no space for thinking. There's no space. Um, the fast, we're going to be doing a fast, not this week. I want to get, I, I just don't feel right about it yet. But one of the things in that fast is going to be fasting TV, phones, iPads, everything. Like turn it all off. I've gone into enough homes and they've got the 65 foot TV <laughs> screaming, just screaming. And it could be worship music and all that. That's all fine and dandy. But it's still noise to shut it all off, all off. And uh, a Jewish couple that I heard them talking about this, they went on a fast. Their, their is Friday at 6 p.m. till Saturday at 6 p.m. And what they do is they turn all social media off. They don't take a phone call. They don't turn the TV on. They're not watching Netflix, nothing. It's just them and with the family. And it's huge. The, the, the she wrote a book about it, actually. So we are missing something. We're missing something. The last thing you need is to check what's up again or to check your texts. I mean, honestly, I guarantee you there's nothing you're going to get on your phone today that's going to change your life so dramatically that if you miss it, everything's going to go bananas on you. It's just not. But we've been told it is. And, and it's, it's demonic. That I know is demonic. It is something that's forcing us because the devil doesn't want you thinking. Doesn't want you thinking about how things really are and about him and to give him a chance to, to listen. So we want to do communion today. So um, you know how it works. At the back, there's communion. At the front, there's communion. And uh, we're just going to play the song, and you can go and serve yourself. And I think there's some people, the people that are serving, if you could come forward just to hold the plates. Corwin and Steph are in the back.
As we come this morning, and many times at uh, the communion service, it's one of those times that we think about things that maybe need to be repented of. We look at the maybe our track record, so to speak. And Father, if we're doing that this morning, and if there is something in us telling us that we're not worthy to take this, this body and this blood is the absolute proof that we are because this body was broken for our sin. This body that we are going to remember today in the partaking of this has been broken because, Father God, we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And this will never stop. So, Father, as we take this, we are taking your forgiveness. We are taking your welcoming into the family of God. And, Father, we thank you for this tremendous gift that salvation is as we remember it through these emblems. And, Alan, I would just ask that you would bless the body of Christ this morning. Yes. Whatever comes to you. Yeah. Okay. Charlie, can you do that? Yes. Yes. We partake. And Father, we think of the blood represented in this juice that we are going to take. And Father, we thank you for this is the new covenant written in your blood. And that new covenant says that you will live in our hearts and you will teach us your ways and that you will give us your Holy Spirit who will enable us to live the way that you would want us to live as we grow in faith and we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Tony, would you just bless the... It always strikes me about communion that people have been doing this for 2,000 years. Uh, you know, people have been gathering sometimes in palaces, sometimes in caves, 
sometimes we are partaking of something that is powerful in its tradition and its lineage and in, in its meaning. And if we take this today, it's like the Catholic Eucharist that what the, if you listen to the Catholic Mass and what the Eucharist is saying, they are saying that you are coming forward and you are taking this because you believe that you are in need of forgiveness. And this is what will give it to you. This acknowledgement that we are broken and that we need something stronger than ourselves in life to rise us above that human condition of sin and to forgive us for the ways that we've failed. It's a, it's a powerful thing. And uh, so, uh, we had the Jigs dinner last night, and we'll take up an offering. Now, the offering, the uh, Interact's not working because that truck ripped the wire off the wall <laughs> on uh, Saturday morning. Uh, so, uh, but we can do it otherwise. But we had the Jigs dinner. Who was in the, who's in the Cuba committee that's here today? You want to stand the people who are in the Cuba committee? Trish, I think you're in the Truba Cuba committee. Yeah, you want to stand? The amount of work, and that's not all of them because uh, Agnes isn't here, right? Um, but, and Heather isn't here. And, but just thank you so much for the work that you did. Putting that meal together, that was amazing. It really was. Thank you for your work. And uh, that was a lot of food that went down there last night. So it was really good. Yes, it did go down good. It did go down good. Um, and is there an any other announcements that I need to be making that I'm forgetting? I don't think so. Okay, we'll just take up the offering.